Turn your Bibles, if you would, to the book of James, chapter 2. And let me encourage you to listen very carefully today. I know you always do. But let me, again, press upon you here. Again, as I said, I know you know to do that. And I know you do that. But as Peter says, let me call, help you call to remembrance these things. If you're going to understand what James is teaching here, you're going to have to Look carefully into God's Word, and you're going to have to listen carefully this morning. And I trust I will do my part in hoping to make this plain to you today. I would like to begin, though, just to set the context of all of this, reading verse 14, and then we'll read down through verse 26. My text actually is verses 21 through 26, and thus we will deal with them, we hope, as uh, we come to them. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Again, my text is verses 21 down through verse 26. What do we have here? If we're familiar with the writings of the Apostle Paul, we would say, and perhaps throw up our hands and say, what use is there to try to understand this book we call the Bible? It seems to be at times full of contradictions, full of things I just do not understand and try to make plain in my own thoughts and my own mind. I think we can be tempted at times to think that when we read such passages, especially verses 21 down through 26. Paul has very plainly taught, as we'll show here in a little bit, that justification is not by works. It is by faith alone, that is faith apart from the law and the works that a man might do. But it would seem the very contrary thing that James is telling us here. For instance... In verse 24, you see then how that a man by by works, a man is justified. So it kind of scares you, doesn't it? Kind of makes you doubt whether this book is all that it says it is. Well, 
First of all, if this book is not what it says it is, you all are silly sitting here. You're very, very silly for coming to hear something that just isn't true. You might as well go home, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now, I hope that's not your position. I hope that you say, well, I'm trusting that this book is true, and I hope by the day it's done here, preacher, you will at least make some sense out of these passages that sounds like to me, if I was to look at them, or if I was to preach them, or if I was to tell them something about this, I would certainly say there is a contradiction here, plain and simple. Well, what is James trying to do here? As we pointed out, we know in the past he's not trying to contradict Paul. In fact, if the writings that we understand when this book was written, which was early on, Paul hasn't even written the book of Romans yet. So he's not correcting Paul here. And we pointed out about four reasons or five reasons a few weeks ago as to why the apostle or James here is not teaching the very opposite of the apostle Paul. And several of them was one. Up to this point, Paul and James have been in agreement in many things. In fact, in everything that's just been spoken. And we showed you that from Scripture. Even when James and Paul met at Jerusalem, as we see from the book of Acts 15, and also from the book of Galatians chapter 2, there was no disharmony among them. They were in agreement that justification was by faith. It was true whether you were a Jew or whether you were a Gentile. So we know then, not only those two things, but thirdly, this is the Word of God. And as the Word of God, it is truth, and thus it cannot contradict itself. This is one of the first premises, brethren, in Christianity. The Word of God is true. The Word of God is that, the Word of God. And God is not a liar. He cannot lie. So if all that is not true, you're wasting your time here this morning. But I think you know that it, it is. True, you may not be able to understand it fully, or I may be able to understand it fully, but you do know. Not only because we have the written law before us, but we have something up here called our conscience, which has the impress of God's holy law there. And as much as we like to wiggle our way out of it, and as much as we would like to disclaim it, and at times even sear it, it's still there. This is why you have what little bit of religion you do profess to have. Because you know there's a day when God is going to judge everybody. Knowing this, Paul says, the judgment of God. So, we will just dismiss the unbelief that may be apparent in our own hearts this morning and say, okay, this is true. Now, what does it mean? How does this not contradict what Paul is saying? How does this not contradict the great standards of Christianity? Justification is by faith alone apart from the works of man. That God does not consider our works when He takes a person and He justifies them. That is, He declares them righteous before Him and forgiven of all their iniquities. 
past, present, and future. And he's accepted in the Beloved. How then can we answer that in light of such passages as verse 21 and in verse 24? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Verse 24, Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith. Well, how do we deal with this? Well, we got to say that James here is exposing what we saw earlier, the vain idea or the vain pretenses of those who claim, who say they claim, they claim it, they say it, that they have faith. Remember back up in verse 14 where it all started? He says, What doth it profit my brethren, though a man say... I think I told you to underscore the idea there, say. Not that a man has or is, but that he says this. I have faith. But within that man's conversation, that is his lifestyle, is no works that would show saving faith. And that's what he's saying here. What doth it profit my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? That is, that kind of faith that has no works whatsoever, it's just simply I made a, a profession and that's all. Can this save? And the answer, of course, is no. Though he doesn't answer it there in verse 14, you know that's the answer that is expected from that question. Can faith save a faith that does not have works? And the answer is no. We agree with that. Paul agrees with that. Christianity and all of its true standards believe that. And so James is starting out with that premise. And this is what he's dealing with through this whole chapter, uh, this whole latter part of the chapter. And as we've also pointed out, that's what he's really been dealing with through this whole book thus far. That true religion, true Christianity, is something that isn't just professed, it is something that is lived. True, it's entered in by the new birth, justification is received by faith alone, but brethren, it doesn't stop there, does it? There is growth in grace. There is obedience. There is maturity. And if those things are lacking, then one cannot say they have saving faith. They can say they have faith and they can say it to their blue in their face, but it will not justify them. They are just as damned and lost as those who profess nothing. In fact, even more so. Because their knowledge will condemn them even further. So he asks us here at the beginning, What profit is there in such a faith of someone who boasts and says, I have it, but there's no works? And he compares that then to a kind of a mock charity. Someone comes to you and they say, Well, look. I'm hungry. I'm destitute. I need clothing and a house. I need some uh, roof over my head. And you go, God bless you. And you send them on. He says, that wouldn't help, would it? And that's the illustration he gives in verse 14, or verse 15 and 16. 15 and 16. There is that illustration of a charity without works. 
Not only faith without works, but charity without works here. He says that wouldn't warm them, that wouldn't feed them, and it wouldn't clothe them. He says that's just like faith. Verse 17. Even so, same manner, same way, if it hath no faith, if it hath what works, is dead being alone. One is true, one is false. And then, he gives a challenge a little bit further on in our reading. Verse 18, Thou hast faith and I have works, or if you say that, and again, as we mentioned, that is a difficult passage, but the point of it is, when you stand back and look at the context, is he's basically saying this, you cannot see faith unless it is in action. Faith dwells in the heart, true. You can't see it. You can't see my faith. I can't see yours, except in the fruits that it bears. And that's simply what he's saying here in verse 18. You show me your faith without works, which of course is impossible. That's James's point. He says, I'll show you mine by my works. There again, buttressing the idea that a dead faith can do nothing. It can't save. It can't even evidence itself of salvation that it's true. He even confronts this and confounds this argument there, their argument, with verse 19. With the experience of the devils. Well, the devils believe God. Not only that, they believe there's one God. They are orthodox. They are orthodox in their understanding of truth. There is only one God, is there not? And a lot of people are satisfied with that. They think that saves, doesn't they? Well, if they just believe in God, a God, any God, as long as they're sincere in a belief, in a God, everything's fine. James even makes it even more pointed and says, Oh no, look, even if you say it is the God and it is the one God. How does he deal with that now? He says, Well, you do well in that. That's good. Verse 19. But he also warns us here, look, but that's what the devils believe. And they tremble. So just to say that you believe in God or even in reality have a faith that believes in God, that there's one God, is no sure evidence. Because it even damns devils, doesn't it? That's what he says here. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Then he sums up again. He's just hitting this argument once again. But thou will know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. He's saying the same thing he did as he began in verse 14, as he picks up after the illustration in verse 17, as he argues again in verse 18 and then shows us the faith of the devils in verse 19. He still sums it up in verse 20 and says, faith without works is dead. Do you see what he's trying to say? That a dead faith, a faith that does not produce works, is no saving faith whatsoever. Now we come to where we're at today. And I admit, this passage is difficult. It does seem to have a, an apparent contradiction with the Apostle Paul. On the surface, it looks that way, doesn't it? For instance, now again, keep in mind, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac upon the altar? 
And of course, the answer is yes. That's the answer. It's the answer he's driving at. That's the answer he wants you to come to a conclusion to. The, the imaginary person that he's arguing with here, that's what he wants them to say. Well, yes, he is. Okay, hold your finger there. Go over to Romans chapter 3. Now, we looked at some of these last or two weeks ago. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Boy, that sounds a whole lot contrary to verse 21, doesn't it? And verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is faith, a man is justified and not by faith only. Paul says, nope. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Notice here, he's going to give us the example of Abraham in verse 23. Or excuse me, verse 21. In other words, he's... Hammering in now another illustration, another point for us to see what? This is the most important thing for us to see that works or faith without works is dead. That's been the context ever since verse 14, hasn't it? He's now again illustrating this to his imaginary friend here to show us that once again, that he's right, that this is true. Faith without works is dead. And so he's going to use Abraham. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, I'm sorry, I read verse 23. Was not Abraham, verse 21, our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Now, let's think about that. Let's go back to Romans 4. Keep our finger there in James. And here again, we see, first of all, again, this may be this apparent contradiction, which I don't believe is there. But boy, it sure looks like it. Look in verse 1. Remember, James is saying it was works. Or that's what it appears to be saying. And Paul says opposite. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath worked for up to glory, but not before God. Now, I didn't say here he didn't have works, did it? Paul's not arguing that at all. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace. That is, if you work for it, it's not of grace anymore. But you're in debt. That is, God's in debtor, a debtor to you. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, Paul here insists that justification by faith in opposition, obviously to whom he's writing here, to those who may have thought that justification is by works. Paul says, no, it's by faith. James, though, is contending for the practical work-producing power of faith. That's what he's doing here in our chapter, in chapter 3. It's not a contradiction. It is just different aspects of what each is trying to show whom he's dealing with. I think light can be shown on this again back from verse 14. Can faith save him? The answer is, in the sense that James means it, no. 
And how does James mean it? Faith without works. If there's no fruit in the life to testify that you're a Christian, you don't keep the commandments of God, you don't love God, you don't love the brethren, you don't do things that you live in sin. Sin is what you trade and traffic in. Those are, are signs, my dearly beloved, that you have not passed from death unto life. A faith that saves is a faith that works. Now let's get to the text in verse 20 through 24, or 21 and 24. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest that how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So the first thing we see this morning here is the example of Abraham. He brings it forward here, I think, to show us in the way of kind of an introduction what he's not only going to be talking about, but as an overall thing, what he has been talking about. Again, he's addressing here a false, formal kind of Christianity that many have, but have no works to back it up. And he shows us here to show something of the realness of faith He gives us, first of all, the example of Abraham. If you want to see faith in action, he says at this point, this is not the only, he could have used others, but he uses Abraham to, again, to writing to Jews who are scattered abroad. This would have been a very familiar theme, would it not? Abraham, they considered their father. And he is the father of all the elect. He's the father of all who believe. But he uses Abraham here in order to strengthen his position that faith works. Notice verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Well, not satisfied with just a general yes. He takes us further down and says, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. He gets specific here with Abraham. Abraham had a lot of works in his life, didn't he? But notice the one he chooses. He chooses the one that he speaks on regarding Isaac, his son. Now, you remember who Isaac is. That's Abraham. At this point, he was his only son. That it was from Sarah. And in that sense, it was his only son. And he was much beloved, wasn't he? He was the one who was given, you remember, in the account of Genesis, who was going to be the one who, by promise, the promise of God, that that would be that promise that God gave him would be fulfilled. That through uh, Isaac, that Abraham's seed would be called, and eventually we know that that seed was not the many, as James or Paul tells us, but that was of one who was none other than Christ Jesus. In other words, through Isaac, Abraham saw that Christ would come. What all kind of ideas he had in regards to that, we just know is enough to justify him. And I'll leave it at that. But Isaac was his beloved son. And what's Isaac, what's Abraham called to do? Well, he's to take that son who was to be the the, the promised seed was going to come through and he was told by God to take that son, your only son, 
and you are to offer him up as a sacrifice unto God. Unto me. What does Abraham do? Now, wait a minute, Lord. Let's don't take this religion so seriously. Don't you realize the trials and the hardships and the sorrows I'm going to face if I obey you in this? Is that what his faith did? No. Actually, his faith told his son, let's go. He got the wood and ready and they got on their donkey, so to speak, and they headed off to Mount Moriah. But was it not God's intentions to never um, sacrifice Isaac? It was just the uh, testament of faith of Abraham. I'll get to that, and that's exactly right. So let me get to that. I will. Well, he just told my sermon now. So I'm sorry. I'm kidding. The point is, that's right, Isaac. But the point is, Abraham didn't know this, did he? Abraham, as far as Abraham was concerned, he, when he gets there on that third day, he is to take that son and to put him upon the sticks and the, and the wood and to offer him as... In fact, he was going to do that very thing, you remember. Because he raised the knife and was going to plunge it into the bosom of his son, Isaac. But God had called out and said, Abraham, Abraham, and stopped him. That is the illustration... That, Abra- or that James gives to show that he was justified by works. Read it. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? And the answer is yes, in the sense that James means it. Yes, 100% so. And so in saying that, though, we have an Apparent contradiction, do we not? Because Paul says he was justified apart from works. So what is James doing here again? Once again, James is trying to show us here that a faith that does justify works. It will even work. Now you get this, and this is the, this is the telling application to us today. It will work even in the midst of some of the greatest odds and some of the greatest circumstances and trials and sorrows that may come upon us. Some of you here with children, would you want to sacrifice your daughter or your son? It would be a hard one. But Abraham was willing to do it by faith. That's the kind of faith that justifies. So well, that just puts it way out of way out of the ballpark for me. I'm only reporting what it says. Thankfully, we're not called to do that. But we are called to live our life on a day-to-day basis with the trials and the adversities and the temptations that come our way. And how do we fare? You see, we're justified by that. This will declare us righteous 
are not. Not that the works themselves before God justify us. That's not what he's saying here. What he is saying is, this will be the evidence that you have passed from death unto life. This is the evidence that your faith is not that say-so faith of verse 14. Pity us when trials come and we don't do so hot in them. I have to deal with people on a regular basis, including my own soul for that matter, in these very things. They're having trials. They're having sorrows. There is obedience to be done, but the circumstances say, I, I have more wisdom than God. I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my way. My friend, what you're doing is not evidencing justification by faith. You're not evidencing a work or a faith that is truly saving when we don't do what we're told to do even in the midst of adversities. You know what one of the greatest for Americans, you know what the greatest adversities we have is that our wills are crossed. I don't get what I want. It didn't work out the way I thought. It's not going the way that I want it to. That's about the biggest adversities most of us face. I'm not saying there aren't bigger trials. There are. But brethren, even in the most simple things, how do we fare? You see, we will be justified by our works. Paul uses this very thing not only in Romans, but also in Hebrews and in uh, uh, the book of Galatians. Notice verse 22 now. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? Again, don't misunderstand this. He's not saying that his works saved him in and of themselves. But again, he's still talking about his faith, isn't he? Abraham's faith. What did his faith work? It worked out these works. He headed for Mount Moriah, not the opposite direction, did he? His faith made him obedient to God. Now notice verse 22 as well. And notice, and by works was faith made perfect? And the answer is yes. Now, what does that mean, made perfect? It can mean, yes, it was demonstrated by that act of Abraham and the other acts he actually did too. This wasn't the only good work he did, you remember. But in that case, it did evidence it. But James is saying much more than that, I think. When he says here that these works was his faith made perfect, it didn't mean that it added anything to faith. It made, but it does mean this is the way that God uses to mature and to complete our faith. He sends us these trials. Not only to test our obedience, not only for us to see our faith, but that our faith would be made complete. There is this completing process in God's redemptive purposes with our faith in our works. And so the more obedient we are, thus then, verse 22, 
in James's sense, the more perfect our faith is. It's nothing more than what he's already stated in James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy, verse 2, when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work. It's the same kind of thing. It's those works, good works, works that are tested in the midst of adversities that mature and complete our faith. So they do much more than just reveal whether our faith's real. They even build it up. It's like I have a muscle, well, a little's there, and it will stay just like that unless I begin to exercise it. And then the muscle, we trust, begins to grow and get bigger. He says that's the way faith is. Faith is there in you. You were justified by it. But God's intention is to make that thing grow. Make it mature, get bigger. Stress. And then he appeals to a fulfillment in verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. I want you to notice something again. Hold your finger there. Go back to Romans chapter Three, excuse me, chapter 4. This is the very same passage of Scripture Paul points to. To show that James was just, or the, excuse me, that Abraham was justified by faith. For what saith the Scripture, verse 3 of Romans 4? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Chapter three, 2 of James. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. What took place in chapter, or in verse 21, took place back in Genesis 22. If you know the chronology of that, if you return to Genesis 22, I believe it is, that's where we see the story of Isaac's offering being offered up. That's Genesis 22. Abraham was justified back in Genesis 15. This is what James is quoting now. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. God had declared Abraham justified by faith back in Genesis 15. Years before Isaac came along. In fact, we even said earlier occasion, even before he was even circumcised. So we know then that James is neither teaching it nor uh, Paul teaching that righteousness comes by works. But he is showing here again that this scene, this is where we see the fulfillment of this grand exercise of justifying faith when he is tried at his his best. Or worst, depending on how you look at it, having to have to offer up his son. So James here is teaching us that there is works and justification, but not in a saving sense. 
at all. But notice something else in verse James again. He was called the friend of God. What a distinction. That's actually made noted in a couple of places in the Old Testament. One is in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 7, where it says, Thus Jehoshaphat prayed, Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gave us to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? That's where James is quoting from. Or he could have been quoting the idea from the book of Isaiah, where he says, and this is Isaiah, I think, fifty, excuse me, forty-one, eight. But thou art Israel. Art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Even we are seeing it, we even see it hinted at even in the book of Genesis. Remember where God came down and he was going to tell Abraham what was going to take place to the, to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? He says, knowing that Abraham is going to do certain things. When we come to the New Testament, you know who are the friends of God? Well, Jesus says in John chapter 15 and verse 15, Henceforth I call you not servants, For the servant knoweth not what things his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Friends. Anyone who is a Christian is a friend of God. Why? Because He's revealed Himself to them. By grace. But in the New Testament all are. So we see here, Abraham then exhibits what? That a man will have works. Faith without works is dead. Abraham shows the very opposite. A faith that saves is someone who does have works. But he gives us now another example. Rahab in verse 25. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another Way. Here again is another example that he's showing us here that faith is not alone. Now, why would he use Rahab? Well, one, she was an alien. In that sense that she, not that she came from another planet, but that she was not of the Israelites. She was a foreigner. She was a stranger to the covenant of promise, at least outwardly. But not only that, this woman is a harlot. In fact, she still retains the name, not the practice. She still retains the name. Rahab the harlot. And notice how he speaks of her. She too was justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. We've discussed this here recently because we've been preaching through Joshua, have we not? We saw what a, uh, 
uh, Rahab did. She had heard and she said, our city is full of this news that your God is the God who is a, a God of arm and He destroys. And we're fearful. And she believed that. And then what did she do? Did she just sit on the wall hoping all will turn out well? No. The Scripture tells us that she took the spies and she hid them. She was evidencing her good, her real faith by her work. Again, what would have happened if Rahab had been found out? That would have been treason. She would have been put to death, most likely. Just as if we were at a time of war here in America, there still is in the Constitution. If in the time of war here in America you commit treason, they have the right to put you to death. It's a crime. Now, they, our nations expects others to do it, but you can't do it. There's a difference. You cannot be treasonous against your own nation. Well, that's what happened. So, in the midst of danger, she's willing, by faith, to risk it all. Her family and herself. It's amazing. These two illustrations that he gives are from people who face something very hard and yet was faithful. And some of us are ready to quit when just a little bit comes our way. At one time, we see that Rahab was an evildoer. She had gross sin about her. She was a harlot. And yet we see that by grace, through faith, she doesn't perish with them. It says in another place, Hebrews 11.31 By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. See, she did that by faith. Why? Because faith will produce works. And so the same conclusion we can come up with Abraham, we come up with Rahab, the harlot. Same conclusion. And he concludes all this with verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, is he teaching us here we gain heaven by our works? No. No. What he is teaching us here is that faith that saves will have works. Even in the midst of the deepest trials and something that would just go completely contrary to what we would say nature. Offering up offering up our own at least our children unto God if necessary. Now notice the idea, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works. Notice the uh, the parallel that he uses here, the analogy. If you go into a funeral parlor and the fellow's laid out there, there's no spirit in them because they're dead. That's what this is what makes death. Death is the separation of the soul or the spirit from the body. So if you have a body there without a spirit, you know that it's dead. And you know it's dead by how? There's no activity. Here again, another analogy here. So faith without works is dead also. If there's no works, there's no activity, with faith, there is no life. 
and there is no true saving faith. Let me close with just a few questions to us this morning. Men are justified by faith alone, as we pointed out, but not by faith which is alone. That's how our confession reads. In other words, if you have faith, there will be works. It won't be by itself. Though it is faith alone that God justifies us by, saves us by, it will be a faith, though, that works. There is within that faith a vital, operative, powerful principle that produces a holy life that goes through all of our character inward and outwardly. It goes through all that we think, all that we are, and all that we do. That's how much saving faith affects us. It's not something, seriously, brethren, you can just take out and put on the shelf and then I'll bring it back when I want to be holy on Sunday. No, my friend, it affects you seven days a week. It's not saving faith. You live unto God every week or you don't live unto God. Do we live perfectly? Well, no. We've already pointed out from James itself there are those sins and problems. So let me ask you this morning, what of your faith? This is the application. Don't worry about somebody else. Worry about you. What is your faith? How does it influence you? What does it cause you to do? What effects does it produce? Are you obedient to God in all extremities? Like Abraham, who was willing to sacrifice his only and dearest son before God. Are you ready to run the risk and incur the danger in relying on God as Rahab did? What are your fruits? What are the practical proofs that faith dwells in your heart? When you go to your job and you're tortured and you're not physically, but in your mind you're you're they're they're pushing you and they're telling you this and you're listening to that. And do you still though say at the end of the day, faith is going to make me persevere through this? It won't be these folks at work that are going to make me fall away. Or within your marriage, is it my wife or is it my husband that's going to make me disobedient to God? Which is right now what we're facing in some of our families. You better get back to this principle. Faith will move you through this or it is not saving faith. You're fooling yourself. You've lied to yourself. You've lied to others. You've been deceived. Maybe you even think you have saving faith. But my friend, it will be exercised in its fruits, even in the worst situations, such as your own life at stake, or even the stake of your children. I would think that's probably the two greatest temptations we could have. Self and our children. 
and we love self. But faith makes self come second. God sent His Son to deliver us from ourselves. Saving faith moves us from a self-service to a servable servant to all. So here's a test. It's Abraham and Rahab demonstrating saving faith. Which do you have today? Boast not of something you don't have. Because there will be a day that will all of this will be tested. And while you may get away with it in this life, you won't in the next. And then what of us who can say, you know, I've laid the test down, I've taken my life, and I see that I'm not a reprobate silver. In reality, I can see these. Oh, it sometimes it seems at a distance, but boy, I can honestly see them. And I wouldn't cast away what little bit I faith have for anything, for my children or even for my own life. Well, bless God, my friend, you have passed from death unto life. And that faith is saving it does truly look to Christ. And let me also say, it's a rare thing that you have. There are many who are on the broad road to destruction. Few who are on the narrow road. The narrow road is faith. Which do you have? I don't know. Not even going to appear to guess. But you better know. Or it's too late.